With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following is brought to you by the Leave It in the Ring podcast network. All boxing, no filter. Oh! That's another knockdown! He's not getting up, Jim! He's not getting up, Jim! He's not getting up! No, he's been knocked out! Without an answer, and Lomachenko has made Rigondeaux quit. It's Fistionados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, fight fans. It is Friday, January 4th, and this is the Fistionados podcast. I'm your host, Evan Rutkowski, former HBO sports marketing executive giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email me at fistinados at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistinadospod. Uh, we're going a, a few days early. Normally I'd record this in the middle of next week, but there are no fights this weekend uh, that are being broadcast in the U.S., really no major fights in general. So let's get right into it. There, what I'm going to do this episode is go over my top, <clears throat> my top storylines for 2019 and do a quick review section. And these will sort of just be mini deep dives into stuff that we're definitely going to take much closer looks at as the year goes on. I think that it's a couple of really interesting things. So the review section, we only really have one fight card to talk about. It's that ESPN Plus uh card that was put on on Saturday the 23rd. So on Saturday, December 30th, uh, sorry, not the 23rd, the 30th. It was Saturday, December 30th. Masayuki Ito wins by KO7 against Evgeny Shuprakov uh, from Japan in a fight that was pretty good action, pretty much all one-sided for Ito. Teddy Atlas was making this point on the broadcast, but Ito doesn't have an amateur background, and he may end up having the highest upside of anyone currently in that division. You know, I think you can say the same thing about uh, Tevin Farmer. He didn't really have much of an amateur background either, but this is one of the most interesting weight classes out there. We've talked about it a lot on this show, and I think a lot of people have talked about it. There's so many really great fights to make. I think, and and I think a lot of the good fights can be made by staying inside certain platforms. Um, so we could see some building to unification fights within platforms. Uh, and actually, Gervonta Davis could be the odd man out when that... Although, you know, I will give him credit. I mean, I think the Morris fight is interesting. Um, I'm not really that excited about it just because I think stylistically it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but at least it's a name for Gervonta Davis. But, you know... ESPN is essentially two champs in Burschelt and Ito. DeZone has Farmer and then Machado, who Machado obviously has a BS title, but <clears throat> it's still a great fight. I mean, I think Machado has come a long way and he's a really good fighter. 
I think we can see some good fights here. Um, there's a lot, there's a huge amount of depth at this weight class too, just in terms of fighters, either who are talented or who have names, maybe they're veteran fighters with names and they make good fights. It's just a lot of fun television. In the undercard, Takuma Inoue beat CP Freshmart by wide unanimous decision. And now he has sort of a, a title at another weight class. Like it's kind of a paper title, but whatever. Uh, there should be some fun fights at this weight class too. I think we need to see what's happening with the World Boxing Super Series before we get too far into this weight class. But it's worth talking about as well. Um, there was that Butler Nietes card that really didn't have... I think one of the distinctions I made here is I don't really t- – there's so many fight cards internationally with U.S. distribution. And I could be wrong on this. Please, you know, I'm sure I'll hear it if I am. Um, I'm not going to talk about stuff that doesn't have some kind of, you know, major U.S. distribution. Um, you know, I'll even go with Cloud TV. If there was something on Cloud TV and I missed it, you know, mea culpa. But that's kind of the, the distinction I'll give in terms of whether or not I talk about fights. So the Mayweather fight, and I'll keep this short, and I guess this didn't have it, but I'll make an exception for Floyd. Um, I watch Floyd Mayweather whenever he fights. Good for him for earning money in an exhibition. This does not mean anything. I didn't pay for it. I didn't watch it live. You didn't really need to do much to watch it. It was all over social media, and you know, who cares to a certain extent? Again, I like Mayweather. I'm going to watch him. I didn't pay 70 bucks for this. This didn't, I didn't have to black out my night for this. This is fine. I was happy to watch it on social media. Floyd Mayweather should have won and he won. Good for him again for earning a bunch of money. All right, let's get on to the real fun stuff here. The top things to look for. I just sort of picked six at random uh, for 2019. And I'll list them all here and then I'll just sort of do a little deep dive into them, uh, mini deep dive, as I said at the beginning. Eddie Hearn's relationship with DAZN, how it progresses, who he signs, how well he works with Golden Boy, what is really going to happen at heavyweight. That's number one. Number two, the PBC's deal with Fox, what does it really mean? How much money is it really worth? How is the deal structured? How does it affect Showtime? What are we going to see as fans Number three, what is going on with the career of Errol Spence? New tangent for this as of today, because today the Crawford Con fight got announced for April 20th. What does that mean? But I think I'm going to single out Spence, though, and, and, and first look at it there. I did a whole episode on this early on in 2018. Number four, how many lower level pay per views are we going to see in 2019? Will they work? Number five, what is ESPN going to do in 2019 to, to define its product on linear, linear ESPN versus ESPN Plus? Number six, will Showtime continue to be the top provider or will ESPN or DAZN overtake it? And these are really in no particular order, so let's just take a look at all these. All right, let's start out with Eddie Hearn with DAZN. What happens at heavyweight? Blah, 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 blah. How does this whole thing play out? This is clearly a topic that's going to be explored maybe in almost every episode, either as a news notes type of thing or in just its own deep dive. I'm not going to delve into the timeline as of now, but remember, 
There was a moment when Eddie Hearn owned the DAZN platform and supposedly had like a billion dollars over eight years and all these reporters are like scrambling to do the math and figure out what it really means. And we are way past that moment now. You know, a couple things to consider here. First, Eddie's deal was signed before John Skipper came aboard DAZN. This is extremely significant to note and we will probably be hitting that point home several times in 2019. Why is that important? Because John Skipper is the one who signed the Canelo deal and the Golden Boy deal and in the process probably significantly reduced Eddie Hearn's deal with DAZN or at least reduced Hearn's influence. You obviously don't see Hearn going around anymore making significant offers to PBC fighters uh, to sign with him. I mean, you could probably make you could, you could probably write a book on the mistakes that Eddie Hearn made in attempting to sign all those Heyman fighters. We'll save that for a future episode. Just remember, Hearn's deal was pre-John Skipper. Skipper calls the shots now. That's never a good thing if you're in Hearn's position. But now the question really becomes twofold. First and clearly most important, can DAZN make the big heavyweight fights? The three glamour divisions that matter right now are heavyweight, middleweight, and welterweight, and DAZN has the biggest chess piece in two of them. Specifically for heavyweight, Eddie Hearn holds the keys here, and if he wants to make AJ Fury or AJ Wilder, then those fights are probably going to get made. And I'm not suggesting Showtime's not a player here. Clearly they are, because Wilder is with them. But they have never really had a whole lot of leverage. They certainly don't right now. I mean, they have more leverage than they had six months ago because Wilder got an important fight that kind of came out of thin air. And, you know, here's the major thing with this. Unless Wilder and Fury are going to fight three times in a row, they will be lucky. Showtime will be lucky to find another dance partner that can make a profitable pay-per-view with Wilder. Even if they did that, It'll get them through 2019, but Anthony Joshua has a lot of opponents he can go with. And herein lies the glimmer of hope for fans. Hearn's last UK pay-per-view ended up on Showtime instead of DAZN. And that tells us that future AJ fights, which are clearly all going to be UK pay-per-view, might not all end up on DAZN. There's a lot of moving parts in play here. AJ's next fight looms really large, like... What if he does come to New York and fights Big Baby Miller on DAZN live in primetime on the U.S.? That could be DAZN putting pressure on Eddie to start delivering more with his shows, but it could also be Eddie trying to start that U.S. intro for Anthony Joshua and building to a bigger pay-per-view event with Wilder. If that April fight is Dillian White on U.K. pay-per-view, does Showtime make a big play and try to grab that fight? Unfortunately, I see a scenario here where Hearn tries to delay the A.J. Wilder fight as long as possible to leverage another better TV deal in the U.S. That probably means fall of 2020, because remember, the initial deal he signed at DAZN was reported to be two years guaranteed, and I'm assuming that part of that is still true. And while I've gone on the record saying that A.J. should maximize his money by making the Wilder and the Fury fights right now while everyone is undefeated, Hearn does have the deepest roster of relevant heavyweights out there and can very easily make a deal with Tyson Fury to fight AJ in the UK. He doesn't need to make the Wilder fight at all to keep the gravy train going. If he looks at this and says to himself, 
I need to use the AJ Wilder fight to get that prominent US TV deal and keep my US operations going, then it really comes down to Showtime versus DAZN. Probably give the edge to DAZN, but who knows? Two years is a long way off. The other DAZN element to this, it's sort of the big question with Hearn. It's like, how can they get, and it's not just Hearn here, it's how can they get all their promoters to play nice and put on some really good cards? And I'm going to hit on this a little bit in the preview section. They're making a lot of fights with relevant, either relevant name fighters. No, I wouldn't say big name fighters yet. I mean, you could say Canelo is a big name fighter. But the overall point is, if it's just going to be Golden Boy and Hearn taking their turns on fight cards and not making strong matchups, their regular programming is not going to be a pretty sight. I mean, neither has a deep enough stable to be a regular provider, so they need to work together to put on some of these premium fights. Given the sheer volume of competition in the marketplace right now, and especially given that DAZN isn't a legacy TV company, they really need to put on premium fights. Like, not just more boxing in long, odd fights. Like, they need to, you know, and I'm not even saying, like, just regular programming to keep, regular good fights to keep hardcore fight fans happy. I'm saying, like, they need to put on big events. Like, they need to do the whole shebang. We need to see something like Triple G or Danny Jacobs going over there and fighting Canelo. We need to see Anthony Joshua fighting Fury or Wilder. We need to see a major event. And they need that too for their subscriptions. Fight fans do want more, but more isn't better. Better is better. Right now, out of the zone, we're seeing a lot of the more. We have seen some better. I went over it in my last episode where I reviewed their year, and there's sort of like these two categories that they have. They have some really great stuff, and then they just have some stuff that's just filler. And we need to see some of that filler become a stronger product. For that to happen, they're going to have to work with multiple promoters, and these promoters really need to work together in a much more constructive way. All right. Fox's deal with the PBC and what it really means. This is clearly another major network story that we're going to follow in 2019. I've gotten some interesting feedback uh, from my initial review of the deal that Fox made with PBC. Uh, I stand by it all. I mean, this is an incredibly mixed bag in terms of overall analysis of the deal. You know, first of all, and I, I think we've now seen enough of it, I mean, the deal was reported to be at $60 million a year, but I suspect that the reported number is going to be, like, not quite that. I mean, it sounds like this is going to be the equivalent of an NFL free agent, like an NFL agent putting out a player a player's number he signed with a team to the press, and then, like, the team's version will just be a little bit different. Like, here's my quick example. When Odell Beckham Jr. signed his contract, it was initially reported at like $20 million a year. And look, if he completes it, it will be end up, it will end up being close to that because I think it's five years and $95 million. When you take a further look at it, only $65 million was guaranteed. Uh, only $40 million-ish was like guaranteed at signing. And much of it was applied to the last year on his existing contract that was paying him $8 million. And my overall point with this is not what the contract was or wasn't. It was just that the team looks much at, at the contract much differently than Odell and his agent look at the contract. 
Um, and he'll probably not have a cap number that's very big at all till the end of his deal. And the team can probably get out of it fairly early if they want. So it's just, it's two different ways of looking at it and, and different amounts of money in terms of what's really coming or what your interpretation of what's really coming at it. So to go back to the PBC after this sort of crazy tangent, I, I just don't think it's worth, I think this deal could be worth $60 million a year if everything breaks right for the PBC, but I don't think it will be worth $60 million a year. I think it's much more likely that the deal is clo- is worth closer to forty million dollars a deal, uh, forty million dollars a year, with incentives maybe based on ratings or pay per views that could push it to a much bigger number. And this isn't crazy at all. I mean, I'll bet you that Top Rank and Golden Boy have similar deals based on their performance at their own respective networks. I mean, this is sort of the network safeguard against having an in-house matchmaker um, like a Lou DiBella, Kerry Davis, Peter Nelson type of, of person is, is like, you need that at a premium network. You don't really need that if you're selling ads against the product. You either can sell ads against the product for a certain amount of money or you can't. And if you can, the fights are going to continue to happen. And if you can't, they won't. And there's going to be incentives based on what you are presently doing. And we kind of know it's working at ESPN. I mean, they ripped up and signed a whole new deal. They ripped up the old deal. They signed a whole new deal. What what's PBC and Fox are doing, we just don't know yet. But I mean, you look at that first round of fights and you're, and you're sitting there and you're not thinking to yourself, hey, this isn't $60 million. Um, and I think the bigger question here is how responsibly is the PBC behaving with this because the question you need to ask one thing Fox has done very well is the shoulder programming element. And I think what you need to ask is what pot does that shoulder programming come out of? If that comes out of the pot that I think is closer to $40 million, then the PBC is behaving responsibly. If it's coming out of a projected $60 million that was put out into the press, then I mean, I can tell you right now, I have very bad news for fight fans as to what these fights are going to look like in the fall. Like, you're either going to get worse fights than have already been announced, or you're going to get a, the only good fights are going to be on pay-per-view. And they're expecting a huge amount of pay-per-view, so you have to root for those pay-per-views to be successful. Um, it's just going to be very interesting to watch it play out. I mean... If the PBC and if Fox, if, if the PBC is behaving responsibly right now, and if Fox is going to really build some of that crossover audience, and they're going to hit those incentives, then this is going to work out great for fans. But if they're not, like this, could, I mean, it could take a really bad turn. Um, and, and even building on that question, like how are Showtime and Fox? This is the question I think a lot of people have asked, and it's an obvious question to ask from from my opinion. How are Showtime and Fox going to play in the same PBC sandbox together? Are they going to play well together or not? I mean, in the Fox Deep Dive I did, I asked the question, is Steven Espinosa some kind of mad genius in all this? Because on the surface, you need to ask, like, hey, 2018 was a great year for Showtime. Was it because PBC had no other options? And now with this Fox deal, you're going to expect the quality of Showtime's fight cards to go down? And I'm not sure that's going to be the case. I mean, because if it's 
if what I just conjectured was is true with regards to the license fees that PBC is getting from Fox, then I think Espinosa is still going to be able to cherry pick the best fights that PBC has to offer. I mean, he'll still be the guy with the biggest wallet that PBC can turn to. And this could be headed to the point where Fox ends up being PBC Boxing After Dark and Showtime ends up being PBC World Championship Boxing, if you're going to use the old HBO distinction. But again, this goes back to the Fox deal, which I find so interesting. It has the highest variance of any deal out there. If they are successful, it's a, I mean, if they're, if they're really successful, it could be terrible for Showtime. It's all a big question mark. It's a big risk uh, for Showtime. But Steven Espinosa, it could work out really well for him. I, this is just something to follow all along as it happens. All right. While we're on the PBC, what is happening with the career of Errol Spence? Going into 2018, Spence would have been my preseason pick for Fighter of the Year. Breakthrough Fighter, all the awards you could possibly give someone in terms of what's coming up. I mean, in the first episode I ever did, first, I think it was first or second, I can't remember. Like I said earlier, I asked. Like, I did a whole deep dive into what is going on with his, with his career from a management standpoint. And it's not really calling into question Al Heyman. Like, I don't want to single that out. I think it's more like just what is Errol Spence doing with his career? And there's so many interesting things to highlight. You know, I think it's safe to say at this point, that there is one pathway this could go where Errol Spence could end up being the poster boy for what other promoters and managers use as to why you shouldn't sign with Al Heyman. There's also a way where this could go where it's like, hey, Al had the right plan the whole time. And like, yes, it took a little bit of a while to get going and sort of build that snowball, but now we've got an avalanche going. It's really interesting. I mean, one year ago, he was heading into a fight with Lamont Peterson on Showtime, which should have been the breakout performance that gave him a ton of momentum for 2018. I mean, it did like an okay rating, but it didn't do great. He followed that up with a June first round KO of Carlos Ocampo, also an okay rating, not great, like better for Showtime, but not amazing. You know, and I know that was an IBF mandatory, but that's like an insane mismatch. It was clearly Showtime's worst main event of the year or worst match main event of the year. It could have happened on a pay-per-view undercard or something like that elsewhere. It's the type of fight that you expect, like, you can go right into another training camp after that fight and, and at least get three fights in that year, maybe even four. And then he didn't fight anybody else for the last six months of 2018. And instead of fighting a PBC welterweight, we're talking about a Fox pay-per-view fight in March against Mikey Garcia, who's two weight classes below him. There's the other part of this where he's the subject of this, like these weird PED suspicions based on a Tom Hauser article, which, I mean, no matter how you look at that, it isn't good. I will say in Spence's defense, I think the, accusa the accusations are tenuous here, but I do respect Hauser a lot. That's a different discussion for a different time. I want to be clear on this. I'm singling out Spence because I think he's one of the most talented fighters in the sport right now. But we're at the point when you look at Spence's resume at welterweight, not the eye test because he passes the eye test with flying colors, but the actual resume, his best wins are Lamont Peterson, Kell Brook after Triple G broke Brook's orbital bone at middleweight, two weight classes up, and then like Chris Algieri, 
whose biggest moments have come a weight class below us, like an undersized Chris Algieri. And I hate to break this to everyone, but Terrence Crawford might have as good of a welterweight resume as Spence. And he's only fought two people. He's fought Jeff Horn, who's not really that talented, and Jose Benavides Jr., who's undersized. And I'm not trying to take a side here because my overall point is that both their resumes at welterweight are not great. Like, and that's being generous. All the PBC fighters and supporters out there are saying, oh, bud, you need to come across the other side of the street. But the insane thing here is Errol Spence hasn't even fought any of the best welterweights on that side of the street. That's batshit crazy to me. How have we not seen him at least fight one of the group of Sean Porter, Keith Thurman, Danny Garcia, Adrian Broner? Like, maybe you could even include just one more Lamont Peterson level guy. And now Manny Pacquiao's there too. If you want to build Spence into a pay-per-view fighter, the best way to do it is to have him fight all those guys. Like, does anyone besides Mikey Garcia want to see him fight Mikey Garcia? I mean, a few people who, you know, have said it, but I don't know that that's a general public fight that people really care about. Again, like, the eye test is great with Spence. Like, the eye test tells us that Spence's size and athleticism is just going to blow Mikey out. But when you look at Spence's actual resume, he has nothing on there that says he can compete skill-wise with someone like Mikey. Either way, this is the type of fight that's not likely to do well on pay-per-view, probably won't expand Spence's audience at all, and even if he wins in dominant fashion, it won't help the narrative of his career much because he beat someone in a fight where he was significantly larger and more athletic than his opponent. And if he struggles, which I don't think will happen, but it's possible that he opens himself up to a whole bunch of questions about how high his ceiling really is as a fighter. And like I said, it all goes back to why aren't you actually fighting the incredibly high-quality welterweights in the PBC stable? I'm sure there will be a follow-up episode to this soon. And look, as of today, we can even say there's that Crawford-Con fight. It got announced today. Like, these two pay-per-views are probably... Step one in what's going to be an 18 to 24 month negotiation for the Crawford Spence fight. This part is really going to be interesting. I mean, I think it could even end up being like a mini version of Mayweather Pacquiao, like that type of scenario where they're constantly comparing the pay per view numbers. Like, I mean, just to be clear here, as of today, without really having much time to analyze it, I think the Crawford fight would do better, like slightly better than the Spence fight on pay-per-view in terms of business. I mean, both fights are not likely to do that well. I mean, we'll, what we're probably going to learn more about is what kind of commitment the two networks have to launching a pay-per-view. And neither of these networks have a strong background in doing anything like this on pay-per-view. I mean, Fox helped the UFC do some pay-per-views, and ESPN has done one or two boxing pay-per-views before, I think, but nothing at a really high level. I mean, Crawford had the most watched fight of 2018, and he's had two major marketing pushes on ESPN. One was for the corn fight, which, you know, was, he had a big push to get subscribers signed up for Plus. Uh, You know, I think those will be more helpful for him than anything that's happened for Spence, you know, especially all that inactivity come March. But look, neither of these guys is a proven pay-per-view fighter. This is going to be a fascinating thing to watch. All right, next question. While we're on the subject of pay-per-views that may not perform well, what is happening in the boxing pay-per-view world in 2019? 
We've got a pay-per-view fight in January with Pacquiao Broner. We've got Spence Garcia in March. We've got Crawford Khan probably in April. Maybe we've got Wilder Fury 2 in April or May or something like that. I'm fully prepared to eat crow here on the notion that we'll see less of these in 2019, but I also want to fully point out that I think long-term my prediction on this will be true. There should not be pay-per-view fights that do less than like 225, 250,000 buys in the market. And I think it's going to take one or more of these things to fail miserably for networks to realize this. I also think we're going to have to really take a long look at what Fox is trying to do on pay-per-view for the PBC. If, like I suggested earlier, they're really depending on pay-per-view revenue to make that whole deal work, then we're going to see at least one or two more, maybe even three more after Spence Garcia, which is going to have major ramifications because those fights, like those are essentially Showtime main event level fights that are going to come off Showtime and be on Fox pay-per-view. And remember, DAZN and ESPN Plus are the first true exclusive streaming companies that are showing high-level boxing, and they are both challenging the pay-per-view system in unique ways. I mean, ESPN Plus had Pacquiao Matisse and Crawford Horn, both of which would have been low-level pay-per-views if it was sort of the old HBO days. And I mean, DAZN is legitimately attacking pay-per-view, but they've only put on one fight that would be considered a low-level pay-per-view right now. If we end up seeing Canelo Jacobs, Canelo Triple G3, or AJ against Wilder or Fury in 2019, that's real pay-per-view stuff that is going on a regular streaming service. If that happens, it probably makes people much less likely to buy some of these other lower-level pay-per-view fights. I don't know. I personally still think the market is heading towards the smaller pay-per-view shows going away and and either ad sales working, either you get those Crawford marketing pushes maybe behind some high-level programming like what we saw with the Alabama game where you get those huge audiences and that can justify paying some of the larger license fees that can take some of these shows off pay-per-view. Or with the streaming services, you just throw larger amounts of budget in and hope that they're the type of fights that keep subscribers happy, reduce churn, or get new subscriber signups. But all these things, this is this is a vastly ever-changing market that we're gonna see a lot, we're gonna see a lot of experimentation in 2019. I mean, I think the first half of 2019 is gonna be key in determining what fights go to pay-per-view and what fights don't. Because unless the zone and ESPN Plus if they ste- if unless they step up their game, we're just going to continue to see small pay-per-views. Can you build a pay-per-view star by going small first? I don't know. I mean, I think it comes down to the network commitment on pay-per-view. If ESPN or Fox is really committed, you're going to see the buy rates go up. Like I said, the delineation between what is pay-per-view, what is not pay-per-view, how the streaming services are changing the bar for that what the ad sale numbers from linear TV that changed the bar for that are. All that, it's going to be huge to see. Can we also see just changes in the distribution and that make these fights more affordable and increase the tolerance for them? And hint, hint, the answer to that is definitely yes. But will the networks do it? This is going to be fascinating for me. And I think it's going to be fascinating for a lot of people because it affects how much you pay for boxing. All right. 
Next one, how is ESPN going to, to define its content? How is the ESPN slash ESPN plus split going to happen? I mean, the card they're doing on February 2nd is an interesting insight to this. It sounds like we're going to see Oscar, the Oscar Valdez fight on regular ESPN. And then I think there's another title fight there. And then Tiafimo Lopez's fight and the Kovalev Alvarez rematch on ESPN plus following the ESPN portion. And remember, we saw a few interesting experiments in 2018, the Friday night one after the NBA game, uh, fights after the Heisman Trophy presentation the last two years, the Crawford, Alabama thing. What other types of scheduling opportunities are we going to see in 2019, especially with the UFC? How are we going to see that work with ESPN Plus? I mean, we're now seeing a really strong fight card on Super Bowl weekend, and part of it, it's like, it's scheduled basically the same way that ESPN and ESPN plus are doing it two weeks earlier with the UFC. Like there, there's like a legit UFC card on ESPN. And then I think part of the card is going to end up on ESPN plus. These are all big questions. Like Todd DeBuff did a great interview on the Chris Mannix podcast. And then Bob Arum had a couple unique tidbits from Steve Kim and Mario Lopez's podcast. And there's, really interesting things to extrapolate from both of them. I mean, like the later start time things, I know there's a bunch of hardcore fans on the East coast. You're going to hate hearing that, but if that's true, I mean, you're, they're going to go with what works. They're going to go with what gets the best, the better numbers. And if it's to put on the fights later, that's great for us on the West coast. It, it look to the East coast, hardcore fans. I'm sorry. I mean, you got to convince the general public to start watching fights earlier. Following up here, too, I think there's going to be a lot of comparisons of numbers here. The way that now both UFC and boxing are going to be on ESPN and ESPN Plus at the same time, it's a much better model for comparing things than what the UFC did on Fox. I mean, we'll look at that, too. I think actually FS1 is going to be a better comparison than Fox for a variety of reasons. But ESPN is going to be the best because they're happening at the same time on the same place. My contention is that a few years from now, ESPN, and this is my contention six months ago, ESPN is going to be much happier with the top-ranked deal than with the UFC deal. Part of that comes from ESPN+. And there's a lot to love and hate about ESPN+, Plus right now. I think most of it is just in terms of the content and the price. It's mostly stuff to love. But 2019 is a really big year for the platform. I don't love... The design. I don't love the way that they encourage you to consume content on there. I think a lot of that needs to really be updated. It's just not intelligent. Like it doesn't, there's a lot of things that aren't consumer friendly about it. But don't doubt Disney's commitment to this. I mean, ESPN is spending enough money on the platform right now that some people have estimated they're going to need five or six million subs just to break even. And 2019 is really the year that where that starts. I mean, it's not just boxing anymore. Like, and it's not just fight. I mean, I think it's still, you can make a strong argument that the fight content is the strongest content right now, but it's not just combat sports. I mean, I think this is, I think to combat sports in general, this is going to be your best 
value in terms of delivering the content that you want for 50 bucks a year, five bucks a month, whatever you want to call it. But they just, I mean, they're showing like really quality boxing fights and some, some quality UFC stuff from what we're seeing so far. I mean, five bucks a month is less than what you pay for regular ESPN right now. If you, if you want to look at it the way I looked at it last episode, where I sort of judged the overall value to consumers, but there's a lot of, I guess my overall point is there's a lot of other content coming to ESPN plus in 2019. And we're really going to see the test as to whether ESPN and Disney can make that like what it's that balance. And I think boxing fans have this debate all the time. You know that the future is ESPN plus, but you know, the present is ESPN. And what can you do to get people to migrate over to ESPN plus without cannibalizing yourself on ESPN? And that is a delicate balance because you have to spend on the future. I mean, your stock price alone dictates that you have to be doing this. You're probably going to be losing money on it for a few years, but you need to, to, you need to build the platform. You need to migrate people over. What is that delicate balance? All right. Final issue. Who is going to be the top content provider next year? This one, obviously like my last episode covered, I'm expecting it to be incredibly close because this is the first time we're going to see a full year of ESPN plus. We're going to see a full year of Fox. We're going to see a full year of DAZN. So we're going to get a lot of different ways. You know, you have a, a sort of a newbie streaming service with a lot of data from around the world. You've got network television, the oldest school way you can do it. And then you've got a streaming service that has the full might of a huge corporation that's essentially part of the biggest sports provider in the U.S. right now. There's so many different ways this could go. I mean, there's so many unknowns. I expect the landscape to be very competitive. I've touched on this, but you know, how will these entities compete with each other? Not just in terms of making the best fights possible in-house, but also making the bigger fights in the sport that can be made. I mean, I'm not optimistic that the biggest fights can be made in 2019. I think we will see a lot of building towards that though. I am optimistic that the biggest in-house fights are going to be made in 2019. I think you'll have to see that just because of the high level of competition. I think you will see still a, a lot of major or, or shall I say significant fights happening on, uh, with fighters from different platforms just because of the, you know, the huge amount of competition. I'm not sure the other fights, like with the exception of AJ versus Wilder, I'm not sure the other fights are just going to have enough demand from the public to justify the cost of making them right now. And we'll, we'll put Crawford Spence in that category for right now. But I think there's going to be a lot of competitive purse bid situations. I think there's going to be unification fights. I don't know that the horse trading thing is really going to work out the way they say it could. I think you could see one or two scenarios like that. But I do think the the bidding, who has the highest budget for a specific fight, that kind of stuff I think you'll see. 
I think competitive bidding to make some of the bigger fights where networks can work together on pay-per-views, like we haven't talked about that much, but I think it's not ridiculous to say that you're going to see one of those and maybe one of those in 2019. I think you'll certainly see one of those in 2020. Many of the TV deals that involve either subscription building or ad sales, they're going to have to hit certain numbers. So for the promoters to make their money, they, they need to put on fights that draw audiences. I just, I think that's, it's been something, I guess I've always assumed it, that people understood it. And I don't think I've talked about it as much as I should have. I think that's just a huge part of it. Like in the history of boxing, almost every promoter who gets a TV deal somewhere where it's guaranteed money will end up making crappy fights and taking the money from the network. And I'm sure we'll see one TV deal that goes that way. But I think there's just more mechanisms in place these days than there were 30 years ago or even in the older days of HBO with the way the ratings are set up that you've just got to hit certain numbers to get paid the bigger dollars. And I think it's just more results oriented than, than it has been in the past. And like I said, that doesn't mean you're going to see some abuse. I don't know how much Hearn is getting for some of these cards, but you know, we'll go over the January card in a second and you are going to see certain, (laughs) certain abuses there. But I think the, the ratings thing is going to end up being better than having a matchmaker at, a network because it relies less on one matchmaker's taste and it relies more on what the public really wants. And I think that's significant. All right. This is always going to be a shorter episode. I can already see it's really not going to be that much shorter than I usually do, but let's go into the preview section on Sunday, January 13th. We have the first PBC on FS1 card where Jose Uzcateki faces Caleb Plant for Uzcateki's IBF super middleweight title. Brandon Figueroa versus Moises Flores on the undercard. Um, and just when when Fox announced their schedule here, the, the Lipinets-Peterson uh, fight was, I thought that was the best FS1 fight. I thought this was the second best. And I think it's a really worthy fight. I'm excited to see it. We are dealing with a lot of unknowns here. I mean, Uzgatechi's looked pretty good in his last few fights, and he's a big test for Caleb Plant, who I think is an okay prospect, but I'm really excited to learn more about him in this fight. Like this is really like his first major step up fight. Uzkateki's about like a four to one, maybe a three to one favorite here. On the undercard figure is like eight or nine to one. If we do end up seeing Guillermo Rigando, Rigo's like forty five to one. Um I'm interested, let's put it this way. If Rigo's on the card, I'm interested to see in how the ratings go up or down based on when he fights. I think the bigger thing, this is on probably the biggest NFL weekend of the year. There's four games. It's the divisional playoff weekend. That's why we're getting on a Sunday night, I'm assuming, so it doesn't compete with any of the NFL games. I'm interested to see what kind of marketing Fox puts into this, both on their on-air platform and see if we're, I'd love to see if we're going to see anything. I doubt we'll see too much during whatever games that Fox is televising, they are, this is where you can make or break your, your ad sales revenue, basically, on, on bigger events like this. These are going to be some of the most watched games, you know, most watched television events of the year, basically. Um, 
Okay, on Friday, January 18th, we have Bryant Jennings versus Oscar Rivas on ESPN+. Plus. Shakur Stevenson fights Jesse Rosales. And I think Jason Sosa is a, one of the few sort of notable fights on the undercard. Uh, a lot of this is like the stay busy category for ESPN+. Plus. I mean, I, I don't know a whole lot about the opponents here, I got to admit. Jennings is less than a 2-1 to one favorite in a lot of places, though. I mean, Oscar Rivas is undefeated. Like I said, I don't know much about him. Maybe these odds are way off, but I think it's a decent matchup for Jennings. I find Jennings very interesting, um, and I'm excited to learn more about Rivas. And, I mean, remember, Jennings fought Dimitrenko last August, and that did some pretty solid ratings. So I think you can point to this and say, hey, like, this is actually a pretty good offering from ESPN+, Plus, at least in the main event. I think the, you know, the undercard, it's, I think, Simeon, when you look at Chris Stevenson's career, Simeon was probably will probably end up being more of a significant test based on his amateur background, even though that ended up in a KO1. Um, Stevenson, I still find interesting. I think it's interesting that he's fighting a guy who has 22-1. This definitely feels like the stage in his career where if he was fighting on HBO, he'd be fighting in like a boxing after dark undercard type of deal. We're not at the real tests yet. But this is still an interesting learning experience to see on television. Much more interesting than three or four fights ago when you were just seeing him, you know, dominate over eight or ten rounds and and it just sort of wasn't good television. Um, But when you look at this card, I think the bigger contrast is to see what's going on with this card and then what's going on on Friday, January 18th as well on DAZN. And this is the Eddie Hearn card. Dimitris Andrade is fighting Artur Akavov for Andrade's WBO middleweight title. Also on the card, Jorge Linares versus Pablo, Pablo Cesar Cano, Amanda Serrano versus Ava Veraberger, and Chris Algieri versus Danny Gonzalez. Andrade is a 45 to 1 favorite. Linares is a 45 to 1 favorite. Serrano is a 17 to 1 favorite. Algieri is a 25 to 1 favorite. Um, wow. If you were wondering what card to watch on Friday night, those numbers probably made the decision for you. These are a lot of guys versus no hopers. I will say, in defense of some of these odds, they do, at the very high end, they make the odds a lot higher to prevent gamblers from making a lot of money on parlay cards where you sort of say, hey, Andre, hey, all the favorites are going to win, basically. So maybe they don't need to be quite as high favorites. I actually find, I mean, the Linares, Pablo Cesar Cano fight might be semi-interesting. Might be semi-interesting. Linares probably clearly outclasses him, but at least, like, we've heard the name Pablo Cano before. It's just not, like, there's also a very good chance we end up seeing, whatever, 46 rounds probably 45 of which aren't very competitive on this night. And that I don't really need in my life. Um, this is just more fuel to the fire with what I talked about with DeZone and Eddie Hearn. I mean, I think it speaks for itself. All right, on to the bigger one. Saturday, January 19th, Manny Pacquiao fights Adrian Broner for Pacquiao's garbage welterweight WBA title. Also on the card, Badu Jack versus Marcus Brown for a vacant 
WBA interim light heavyweight title. Rashi Warren fights Nordin Ubali for a vacant WBC bantamweight title. Jack Tapora versus Hugo Ruiz for Tapora's WBA interim featherweight title. That's a lot of paper thin bullshit titles on the line here. Uh, we only have two fights where there are odds for there were the first two. Pacquiao is like a little less than a that a three to one favorite over Broner. Badu Jack is about minus 150, which is significantly less than two to one of a favorite over Marcus Brown. And look, those are good fights. Like, I don't expect a huge pay-per-view business here. There's a lot of questionable issues regarding the date. Espinoza said publicly, like he didn't have a choice in the date. I can't, I think maybe that was on Kurt Emloff's interview with him. Like, there's real questions for me as to whether Broner is a pay-per-view fighter and can bring his TV audience. He does have a significant TV audience, but can he bring them onto a pay-per-view platform? But these are all really good fights. Like, I would have loved to see this as the first fight that Fox put out. I would have loved it. And Badu Jack versus Marcus Brown is a really good fight. I mean, I make, personally, I make Badu Jack a larger favorite. I would put him at three or four to one. I don't think Marcus Brown has a huge path. Like he's probably got one or two pathways to victory. Personally, I think Pacquiao's probably going to win. Adrian Broner is really inactive at the highest level. He's probably not going to be in the kind of shape that he needs to be in. He probably should be fighting in a lower weight class. But Manny Pacquiao's not a really big guy either. I just think Pacquiao's quicker, more athletic. And Adrian Broner doesn't have that many pathways to victory. I mean, he could basically hope he lands a big shot and knocks Pacquiao out. I don't think he'll win a, a decision. I just think Pacquiao's going to be a lot more active to win rounds. And then again, you go back to the commercial elements of this fight. I mean, I worry about the pay-per-view performance here. We've got a lot of tangential evidence that Pacquiao got paid a lot of money to do this fight, either in some kind of upfront guarantee on a multi-fight deal with either Showtime or the PBC, I mean, Aaron said on that same interview with Steve Kim and Mario Lopez that he looked at the numbers and he couldn't match what the PBC was offering. We know PAC's tax issues were very real. That's why I think he got guaranteed a huge amount of money. Why else would he come to America? You know, and I can tell you the last relevant comp to this would probably be Pacquiao's first fight or Pacquiao's fight against Jesse Vargas. I guess they only fought uh, once. I don't even, I'm not even sure that hit 200,000 pay-per-view buys. You know, I think Broner brings a much larger audience than Vargas. But I'm skeptical that unless there is a similar marketing commitment from Showtime to this fight than there was from for Wilder Fury, like we're not going to see buy rates as high as we did for Wilder Fury. It's possible, but I think right now 250 to 275 is much more likely. I think 225 or under is possible. This also, remember, doesn't have that foreign market dollar generator that Wilder Fury had. So this is a really big risk. And again, like they haven't talked about publicly what the pay levels are for each fighter. But I just I suspect that there's a lot more on the line. Now, I think there are there are some potential. Well, first, let me just say, I think what the PBC was doing here. I think they're probably hoping this does a number around 350 or 400. Now, I think 350 is possible. I think it's possible. I'm not sure 400 is possible. 
I think that's what the PBC is hoping here. I think they're hoping that Pacquiao wins. And if he does that high of a number, then they can hopefully make the Pacquiao-Spence fight on pay-per-view, which I find very interesting. They can, Their line of thinking is probably that they build Spence that way. I actually think, despite the size difference, Pacquiao-style would work really well against Spence. I think Spence gives up too many rounds early on, and I think and Spence uses his size not to win rounds the way Jeff Horn did, but rather to knock people out. So you're sort of depending on a knockout if you're Spence, or you're depending on a, on a, on a close, if you give up some of those early rounds, you're depending on a close decision win. Um, so I think that fight's really interesting. But I think depending on how much Pacquiao got guaranteed, they may have no choice but to try and make Mayweather-Pacquiao 2 coming out of this. And I mean, they're probably going to try to make that no matter what. If Pacquiao beats Vince, I'm sure you just go ahead and make Mayweather Pacquiao too. And if not, you just try and get Pacquiao win against another top welterweight and then see if you can make it in 2020, whatever, something like that. You know, my question stands though. Overall, is Pacquiao a pay-per-view fighter in this day and age? I think against Mayweather, Spence, Crawford, and maybe Thurman, I think Pacquiao is a pay-per-view fighter. I'm not sure he's a pay-per-view fighter against anyone else. In fact, I think the list of relevant fighters is much longer than he's not a pay-per-view fighter against. His last fight was on ESPN Plus, and his fight before that was on ESPN. And trust me, I mean, he was regularly starting to dip below 500,000 pay-per-view buys for relevant fights like way before the Mayweather fight. It's a really interesting question. For longtime listeners of this show, you know that I'll always say the last three days, what you do matters much more than the two weeks building up to it. I've seen some of the marketing materials for this. It looks like it's much more of a sell to Broner's fan base than it is to Pacquiao's fan base. And I think that's probably a smart move, but we'll see. I've talked about it before in a couple episodes. I'm not thrilled about the potential here. I think there's way too many risks. I've written about it for ringtv.com. All right. I didn't get a chance to do it last episode because I went long. A lot of thank yous here. Thank you to Dave Duenez and Gabriel Montoya for basically putting me on here and doing a lot of the work behind the scenes that gets this show up. I am not a technical expert in mixing sound and, and, and putting uh, stuff out there into the universe at least for this kind of stuff. So thank you to those guys. Thank you for Doug to Doug Fisher for listening to this and then having me write for ring TV and, and ring magazine. It's been a, it's 2018 has been a wonderful year for me. I mean, I didn't know when I left HBO that there would be this crazy explosion of boxing platforms. I basically just did this show cause I missed boxing and I knew I'd miss it and I wanted to talk about it. And I felt like I, you know, had all these discussions internally and talked about it enough. I, th- I felt like maybe there was uh, people who were willing to listen, and I'm I'm really thank I'm really thankful to everyone who's listening to this. I mean, it means a lot to me to be able to do it, and I love putting the content out. And I mean, look, thank you to Bob Arum and John. thank you to Al Heyman. How often does anyone get to thank Al Heyman, who's not a fighter? Thank you, Al Heyman. Thank you, Bob Arum. Thank you, John Skipper, Oscar, everyone, all the crazy Europeans uh, who've written these crazy checks. 
I had no idea that there would be this many boxing entities. I had no idea I'd be watching this much boxing in 2018. I'm really looking forward to doing it in 2019. So thank you to everybody. And again, I can't thank the people who listen to this show enough. It's awesome. I love interacting with all of you, whether it's on email, Twitter, whatever it is. LinkedIn. Some of you guys find me on LinkedIn. Anyways, I'm looking forward. There's going to be some good fights the next two weeks. And then I think we're headed towards that same kind of explosion that we had in the fall, where I think February, March, April, and May are just going to be jam-packed. I think we're going to be seeing fights every weekend. Enjoy it while it lasts. There's nothing happening this weekend. Like I said, there's not much happening next weekend. But so I, I hope everyone sort of enjoyed this like break period in late December, early January. But that's it, guys. Looking forward to another great year. I'll be coming at you every other every other week again. And uh, enjoy the fights. Talk to you in, in two and a half weeks, I guess. All right. Bye. Did you get what you was looking for? Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.